0: Let's continue our time of worship um, with communion. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. When I'm finished reading, I'm going to pray for both the bread and for the cup. When I'm finished praying, uh, as the Holy Spirit leads you, you can get up from your seat. There's individual little containers back there with the bread and the cup. Take them back to your seat. You can come up here and pray whatever you feel led of the Lord to do, you don't have to wait for anybody else to take of the bread and take of the cup. So I'm going to read, then I'm going to pray. Um, After I'm done praying, allow the Spirit to lead you to get up and take uh, communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, It is such a privilege to come before you and to remember the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It is through that gift that we can accomplish all that you've called us to accomplish, that we can become all that you've called us to become, that we can fulfill the desire of your heart for our lives. Father, we thank you for this bread which symbolizes the body of Jesus given for us on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, that we could have the strength to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ so that the power of the resurrection can flow through our veins. Thank you for the sacrifice that he made of his body to give us an opportunity to be in fellowship with you. Father, thank you for this cup which symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for us, which covers over all of our sin. And because our sin has been covered We become a new creation. We become born again. We get to start this life over. We are renewed, refreshed, restored. We're redeemed. And because of that, we can enter into the very presence, your very presence, and bring our worship, and bring our thanks, and bring our needs, We remember the sacrifice that was made by Jesus, sent by you, and we glorify you. We glorify your name. We pray, dear God, that this morning we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning and throughout our lives because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. As the Spirit leads, you can go and take of the bread and of the cup. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together remembering the sacrifice that was made for, for each of us. Pray that we would live lives worthy of that sacrifice and that you'd re- receive all the praise and all the glory for each of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy holy and sacred name. Amen. So we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter, you say, why does he have a sword? I've noticed some of you, especially on this side, are falling asleep when I'm preaching. So I have a sword here to make. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, therefore... For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This morning we're kicking off a new series, Fix Our Eyes. It's it's like a series that we've never done before. It's different because I'm gonna be kind of shifting from the norm, if you will, how I normally kind of lay things out I'm gonna deviate from my normal challenge. I am used to telling you to pick up your sword with enthusiasm and passion and grab your sword and let's charge the mountain and we're gonna take on the enemy and all, and, and that's the norm of our church, that's my personality. My personality is pick up your sword, let's go take that mountain. During this series, I'm going to ask you instead to lay down your sword and to fight the challenges, to take on the challenge that we're facing right now in a different way, from a different perspective. I wanna read Exodus 14, 14 from three different versions. In Exodus 14, 14 in the NIV it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In the NLT, we read, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And then in the ESV, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. So you're you're sensing a theme here, right? Be calm, be still, be silent. If, if If we need Christ, we know that he is always there. He lives in us and he fights for us. We need only to look to Jesus. We need to trust and hope in him and not in our own strength, not in our own abilities. If we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, we need to find our strength in Him and Him alone. We need to look to Him. We need to fix our eyes on Him. We need to put our hope and rest in Him. If we hope in anything else other than Jesus Christ, this life becomes meaningless. Honestly, this life becomes hopeless. When I when I first met Deb, she was living with her grandparents, Ken and Esther Einerson. Her mother had died when she was three, and her and her father was just a nasty human being, and so she was grow, she grew up with her grandparents, Ken and Esther Einerson. Now Einerson is a really strong Norwegian name, and these were these were really good Norwegians, and they they loved the Lord, and everyone called Ken Pa. That was pretty much his name. Pa, and Pa loved to quote Proverbs chapter three, five and six, trust the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So here's what I want you to do this morning, take a deep breath, I want you to lay down your sword, because I want to tell you a story. It's a story you've heard before, but I wanna tell it from a different perspective. Since I'm already deviating from my norm, if you will, and telling you to pick up your sword, instead now it's put down your sword, so since I'm already deviating from my norm, what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is tell the story backward. Start at the end. There was a young man whose name was Joseph, and in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So this story is really all about God. All the characters, all the events that take place in Joseph's story are really about God. This story leads up to one conclusion that God has brought this about for my good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That's the conclusion of the story. That's, that's, that's the end. I think this is so important. This is so, this is so significant. It's always God in the end and in the beginning. We need to see our lives that way. We need to live our lives like Joseph lived his life. It is always God in the end and it is always God in the beginning. In Psalm 139 verse 16, it reminds us, your eyes saw my unformed body All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is the beginning and the end of our story as well. God is the end, there is an end to each of our lives and God is the end of our story. If you remember, this entire year, we've been using this theme. It's run through all that we have done. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, whether you you were on your knees, whether you're at your kitchen table, wherever you were when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you died at that point. You died to self. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died to self and your life is now encompassed by Jesus Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, so with that as a backdrop, I want you, as we go through this sermon, as we go through this talk, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's place. Because this story is not just about Joseph. It's about our lives as well and how God intervenes in our lives as well. We need to understand this if we're going to be able to put down our sword and fight the battles that we're now facing in a different way. So put yourself in Joseph's place. Joseph is 17 years old, and he is the favored son of his father, Israel. Let me read uh, in Genesis chapter 37. I'm gonna read verses three and four. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, we know as parents that it's probably not the smartest thing in the world to favor one child over another. It's not, not only that, but to show it outwardly is probably not the smartest thing in the world either. It doesn't really lend itself to that, you know, that sibling love, if you will. So Joseph's father loved him most. He gave him that night robe. He was just his favorite. Joseph is 17 years old. You know, you're not the smartest person in the world when you're 17 years old, and you make decisions that are probably not the best, but Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't doing anything wrong here to his brothers. His father, it was his father's choice. One of the things about Joseph is he was a dreamer, and so the next thing that happens in the story is that Joseph has this dream, and he comes to his brothers, and he says, I have a dream, right? I have a dream, and I'd like to share my dream with you. And he tells his brothers in his dream, basically, that all of them end up bowing down to him. Now, if you already despise him because of the way your father's been treating him, this is not going to bring about the kind of Brother, uh, brotherly love that, that one would want. But Joseph again didn't do anything wrong. He was just sharing what God had given him. This dream was a prophetic dream. Joseph had prophetic dreams and the dream was basically at, and the end result was going to be the salvation of his brothers. He was going to save his brothers lives. That's what this dream was all about. His brothers on the other hand were spiritually and probably emotionally immature. They couldn't see that so they just ended up hating Joseph all the more. Hearing that dream just just set them off. Now, when we think with a temporal mindset, we believe that I, that we, are the center of the universe and everything revolves around us. When we don't have that eternal perspective, we can't see how God is working in our lives through other people. What God is doing, that God is in control. Remember, I read the, I read the, the end of the story in the very beginning. Everything that happens now leads up to that point that you meant this to harm me, but God meant it for good. God is in complete control of all things. You saw my unformed body before any of me, before I even came to be and each day is ordained for me god can take the worst of circumstances and make and bring the best out of it god can bring beauty out of the ashes nothing in the universe can thwart the will of god joseph recognizes that in his life not sure what at what point he came to that conclusion but he understood that so his brothers were very self-centered in the way that they, they had a temporal mindset. The world, you know, the universe revolves around me. That was the mindset of his brothers. They couldn't see that God could be working through Joseph ultimately to impact their lives as well. We're all tied together here. And God uses other people and other circumstances and other situations to bring about his best for our lives. Sometimes they're not, it's not easy to go through, but God will use it to strengthen us. In July of 2007, I was on vacation and I was up in the Adirondacks in New York at Camp of the Woods. And I had the privilege of hearing Ravi Zachariah speak. And in this sermon, he said this. It didn't, it's not in any book, he just said it. And I wrote it down in my Bible. You will never know your call until you become a person of prayer and humility. And you're open to the instruction of the godly even when it's difficult to hear. You're never gonna understand your purpose in life, to be honest with you. You're never gonna fulfill what God has for you if you're not a person of prayer and you are not humble And you're not willing to listen to the counsel of the godly, even if it's difficult to hear. His brothers were blinded. They were deaf to what Joseph's gifts were and how Joseph may have influenced or impacted their lives. They could only see. They were only bitter and angry and frustrated about their lives. Everything to them was not fair. This is not fair. He's not the firstborn. He should not have this position that's all they could see was the temporal. So his brothers at one point are out, they're grazing their sheep, and they see, they see Joseph coming from a distance. His father sends them out, and, and they're thinking to themselves, here comes, they say, here comes that dreamer. And by the, he's, he's just, they could just see a little, here he comes. And while he's coming, they come up with this scheme. Listen. Let's just kill this guy and get it over with. I'm so sick and tired of his dreams, so sick and tired of him, how dad treats him. Let's just kill him and then say a wild animal, tore him all to pieces, we'll bring back the robes all bloody, and that'll be the end of it. He'll be sad, but we'll be happy, because he'll be gone. That was their plan. Reuben, one of the brothers, says, wait guys, um, let's not do that, okay? He's our brother. Let's just throw him in the cistern, okay? Cistern is like a place where you, you, you hold the water, but this was dry. It was a pit. Let's just throw him in the pit and not do that to him, and you know, just let him die there. And so they end up getting him, and that's their plan. They throw him into the cistern, into the pit. Reuben's goal, though, his plan is to then come back when they're not there, rescue him, and bring him back to his father. Reuben goes away. While Reuben's away, his brothers say, hey, let's not kill him. That'd be a waste, okay? Let's sell him into slavery. So by Reuben's gone, they end up selling Joseph into slavery. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to think, I want you to feel what Joseph may have been feeling. Because here we have this young man who is literally in the pit of despair. Put yourself in Joseph's place. Everyone close your eyes. Try try as much as you can to feel what he's feeling. Every one of you have gone through this in one way or another. You've experienced something like this. Joseph is in the pit of despair. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been betrayed by the people around you who should have protected you? Regardless of how someone else is, what your father or whatever is saying, You're the older brothers. Now put yourself in Joseph's position. He's in this pit. He's in a literal pit of despair. How is he feeling? Overwhelmed? Doesn't matter how they treat you. They're older brothers. Older brothers do treat their younger brothers kinda rough sometimes, but they're still his brothers. They're still his blood, and they're trying to kill him. Are you, at this point, do you get angry with God? God, how could you let this happen to me? I didn't do anything. Maybe you're terrified. Probably you're sitting at the bottom of this pit. You're you're feeling depressed. I'm sure you're 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 stressed. Probably gonna die down here in this pit. Even if I don't die, I gotta live with the reality that my brothers hate me and wanna kill me. You're feeling anxious. And I think we could all relate to this, but I think what you're really feeling is abandon. You're feeling alone. But once again, God intervenes. So once again, God intervenes and they sell Joseph into slavery, and Joseph goes from the pit of despair, woohoo, into slavery. So now he's a slave, but he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And because Joseph continues to be the person that God created him to be, this is important because every single one of you go through difficulties in life and you allow those things to shape you into a person that God has not created you to be. Bitterness and anger and frustration and you just want to lash out and it's not, you go through all these feelings and you allow those to shape you. Joseph did not allow those things to shape him at this point. So he goes into Potiphar's house and he, and he continues to, to use the gifts that God has given him and the character of the man that he was. Joseph goes in there and Potiphar's like, oh boy, I have just made out like a bandit on this one. This guy's amazing. And, and Potiphar says to Joseph, I'm gonna put you in charge of my entire household. You are second in command of my entire house. The only thing that you're not in charge of is my wife. You have everything else but not my wife. Joseph's like, <laughs> no problem there. This is great. I'm in this situation now. This is, can't get any better than this for the situation I'm in. And so he goes about his business, but Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and says, hmm, 17, 18 years old maybe at this point, um, young, handsome, he's a slave, I'm in charge kind of deal. And she says, hey, what? You, you, come over here in my bedroom. We'll, I, I need you for something. Joseph knows exactly what's going on. She tries to seduce him, and Joseph's like, no, 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 no. And she keeps on doing it, and Joseph rejects her. No, he says, your husband has put me in charge of everything. You're his wife. I I have no rights to you. And so Joseph does the right thing. He makes the right choice. You've been there. You're doing the right thing, and he pays a heavy price. He rejects her. She then runs back to Potiphar and says, "This slave that you bought tried to seduce me, he tried to rape me He tried to do, you know he wanted me." And, and all of a sudden, of course, Potiphar believes his wife, Joseph then gets thrown in jail. He's in prison. So now Joseph's in prison." Now again, how do you think he feels? Put yourself in his place. You did the right thing. You were honoring God with your choice. That should get you something better than prison. Joseph is now in prison because Potiphar's wife has lied. You ever hear the phrase, no good deed goes left unpunished, right? You said it before. No good deed goes left unpunished. You do the right thing. You try to, you try to help someone out. You, inve- you gave money, you gave resources, you gave a car, you helped, you came around, and this person that you put all this energy and effort into turned on you, blamed you for something, accused you of something. I have found in life, it's, people get upset, not that you haven't given them something, but that you haven't given them enough. And enough is whenever you say, well, don't you think you should do this on your own? I've helped, and now you're, you should launch out or whatever. Oh, no. That. And so no good deed goes left unpunished, right? Now, now if you're Joseph, how, how do you feel? Really angry? Let's be honest. Most people are angry at this point. They are bitter. They're vengeful. They're hateful. Or honestly, they feel deflated. It's like, I didn't do anything that threw me in a pit. I didn't do anything, and she accused me of doing something that she was trying to do to me, and now I'm in prison? I mean, you can imagine how most people would feel deflated and just, just run down and overwhelmed. Are you wondering at this point, if you're Joseph, be honest, where the heck is God in all of this? God, I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. I'm still being the man you created me to be. I haven't allowed all these things to just t- turn me into someone different. Where is God in all this? Are you thinking I did the right I did the right thing? This is not fair. I, I, this is just unjust, this is not fair. Or, or why me, God, why me? Why me, I didn't do, what, I, why are you doing, why are you doing this to me, God? I don't deserve this. What have I done that was so horrible in my life, that's what you're saying to God, that I would deserve this? If you're younger, or everyone, I have something to tell you that is going to blow your mind. It's a truth that is just, it's a reality that it just is what it is. Ready, here it comes. Life is not fair. Hear hear what I'm saying, you think, oh, that's really dumb. Listen to me, because you could ruin your life, your life can be ruined over this, okay? The country's being ruined over this. Life is not fair. Life is, much of the time, unjust, and it will never change. So the only question you have to ask yourself, if you're listening to my voice, you're right here in the room, now what? Life is not fair, much of the time it is not just, now what? Joseph had to ask that question of himself. Now what? He's in prison. He didn't do anything. Have you ever been accused, okay, of doing something you didn't do and get in trouble for it? For a lot of people, that just sets them off. You accuse some people, I'm kind of one of those people, but if you accuse someone of doing something they didn't do, they get all upset. They they really get worked up over it. Some people like, I didn't do I don't really care what you think. Other people, they care, and it's not right. It's just, it's unjust. When I was in junior high, I was sitting in class, minding my own business, and I was being a student, I was working on something, probably doodling something, and and all of a sudden, a friend of mine takes a spitball, and the teacher's writing on the board, and he throws it against the blackboard, it sticks right on the blackboard, right next to his head. The teacher turns around, he's like, Greer! And I'm like, Greer, how do you come up with Greer? I was just sitting here, doing nothing. I, I was just, I was doing the assignment. You know, I said, I didn't do it. He goes, yeah, likely story. I said, no, I did not do it. He said, well, then who did it? And I'm like, you're in in junior high. You don't tell on your friends. You just take it like a a kid. You know what I mean? So I I said, I don't know. I was, was," my head was down. I was taking notes. You're brilliant. And I was just taking notes from what you were saying. He said, detention. I said, detention? I didn't throw the spitball. Detention. I don't want to hear another word. I'm like, class is over. I walk up to the guy as sincere as I, and I was cuter back then. And I walked up and I had these big eyes and I said, listen, Mr. Whoever, I didn't throw the spitball. And he looked at me and said, you know, have you ever done something that you didn't get caught for? And I said, well, yeah. He goes, this is why you're going to detention. I said, how is that fair? You you can't give me detention for something. He said, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Uh, We need to realize, okay, we need to understand. Let 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 me back up a little bit to this one. Have you ever had someone take something from you that was really, really important? It was wrong man, I'm I'm saying it was wrong. Someone wrongly took something from you and you you can get as deep as you want on this one because I can come up with a lot of things. Someone took something from you that did not belong to them and it was completely unfair. Maybe someone took credit for your work when you were at the office, you did most of the project, they come in late, okay, they swoop in when it's almost at the end, they then take credit for the project, they get the bonus or they get the promotion and you get stiffed. Maybe someone rewrote the history of an event and left you out of the details. Man, this is all just wrong stuff. How do you feel? How do you feel? Joseph is thrown into prison for something he did not do. It is unfair, okay? What happened to Joseph is completely unfair. It is unjust. But here's the thing. God's not finished yet. God is not finished yet. Remember, God gave Joseph some really amazing gifts. He was able to interpret dreams. So while he's in prison, there's a cupbearer and a baker, and he, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker, and it works out really good for the cupbearer. So the cupbearer gets out of prison and ultimately, Joseph, using, continues. He's not like, oh, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Every time I interpret a dream or whatever, I'm just, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna do it anymore. I'm not gonna use my gifts and talents and abilities. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Joseph doesn't do that. He continues to use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given him. He continues to be the man that God created him to be. He doesn't let the circumstances of life twist him and shape him into someone he was not created to be. So he uses the gifts. He interprets a dream, the cupbearer gets out of prison, ultimately, that's what allows Joseph to get out of prison, but not before the cupbearer forgets about Joseph and he lingers and rots in prison a little longer. Even that doesn't sway him. Because now the king has a dream. And the cupbearer, that's a king's cupbearer, The king has a dream. The king goes to all his soothsayers and everything and says, hey, interpret this dream. No one can interpret it. And the cupbearer finally says, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. He's in prison. He was my buddy. You get him out of there, he can interpret your dream. The king says, okay, Joseph, out of prison. Interpret this dream. Joseph comes and Joseph interprets his dream. He interprets the dream of the king. And in the dream, he foresees seven years of plenty and seven years of a famine. He interprets the dream perfectly. The king is so impressed with Joseph and his ability to interpret his dream, and not only that, but his character and everything about Joseph, okay? Using all that God has given him, the king says, hey, Joseph, You are so amazing, you're so incredible, you're the kind of guy I want to put second in command of all of Egypt. Everything, except for me, is under your power. You you are second in command to make all the decisions. Joseph uses that power to save up enough food, to get enough food, to, to just save countless lives lives, not only of the people of Egypt and the surrounding area, but his people, his family, and remember his brothers. His brothers come and bow down to him. That dream is their salvation. It's what saves their lives. They don't see it from an eternal perspective. They see it from a temporal perspective. That is our problem. We look at life in in just tiny little myoptic viewpoints of right now. We're not looking at holistically and what God wants to do in our lives. So Joseph interprets this dream. The king puts him in charge. Joseph stores up the food. And he's second in command of all of this. In all of his struggles, Joseph trusted God with the end, listen to me, in all of his struggles, thrown in a pit, going to Potiphar's, being accused, in the the prison, the the cupbearer not not following through with what he said, through all of this, Joseph holds on to his trust in God for the end of his life story. He trusts God for the end of his story. He holds on to his God to the very, very end. I like to, I kinda like to think that Joseph was able to live life backward. I talk to you guys about this all the time. Project your life at the end. Who do you want to be? What, how, how do you want your life, I, I'll really very, very quickly, when I first got saved, the first thing I did was look up verses on how to be a husband and how to be a father. I didn't have a father and I didn't have an example of a father show me how to be a husband. So I looked it up in the Bible. I studied and studied and studied. You know why? Because I projected myself here at some point in my life. I was going to be Pops. I was going to be, what I never had, grandfather who was the kind of person you want investing in your life, father who was just absent, not there. I was going to be grandfather, maybe great-grandfather at some point, and when that happened, I projected out to when I would become this person, and I decided who I was going to be, how I was going to live my life. I make decisions every single day because I lived my life backwards and projected who I wanted to be at the end and trusted God for my life and how my life would end. Joseph did that, he trusted God, he lived his life backward, he had a faith and trust in God for the end of his story. Listen to me, if you can learn to trust God with the end of your story, everything else falls into place. Let me say that again, if you trust God with the end of your story, everything else will fall into place. He knew the character of God and he knew that no matter what he had to face in the middle of his life, no matter what he had to face, no matter what challenge he had to overcome, he trusted that God had it all in his hands, that God was in control. You saw my unformed body before it even came to be. All the days ordained for me, were written in your book, all of them. He trusted God with his life. He trusted in the character of God, knowing the end result was in the hands of God. I wonder if you and I would live our lives differently if we could see the end first. Think about that. If we would worry as much, if we would stress as much, if we would be as anxious as we are, if we would fear as much, if we could just get just a momentary glimpse of eternity, if we could just see things from an eternal perspective, if we just saw the end for a moment, would it change how we live our lives now? We need to realize that if we live our lives every single moment in the presence of God, that our life has purpose, our life has meaning, our life is significant. Whether we live for 40 more years or four more days, if I have four more days left, I will have fulfilled everything that God has called me to fulfill in my life. If I have four hours left, I will have fulfilled everything that God has called me to fulfill in my life. I don't control how many days I have, but I do control how I live those days. And I try with all of my heart, regardless of the circumstances, personal or otherwise, I try with all of my heart to live with an eternal perspective. Joseph, Joseph was a part of an amazing story we read it knowing the end result of the story. We read all the stories in the Bible, right? If you read your Bible, you read all the stories, and you read all the way through, and you get to the end, and you know, and sometimes you heard the story before, before you read it, so you know the end's coming. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm watching a football game, and I know the end, some of you don't like to know the final score, I do sometimes, because I don't want to go through the stress. Right, so I'm like, oh, they win 30 to 29. I'm like, this is gonna be a great game. Or well, it's a whole game, we're excited. If you know the end of the story, it's, it's less stressful. I'm gonna tell you the end of the story, God wins. God wins. This next election, God's in charge. Whoever gets to, to, to put on the Supreme Court, God's in charge. And at the end, there's nothing that any politician or any culture or anything can do to thwart the will of God. Nothing, God wins, that's the end of the story. I think where we struggle, where you and I struggle, is when we're in the middle of the story, when we're in the middle of our own God's story, and we're not sure how the, the end, we're not sure what the end's going to be. That's where we struggle. We're right now, I don't care how old you are, you're in the kind of middle of your story and you don't know how this story is going to end and so we get overwhelmed, we're in the middle of the story, we don't know how the is going to end. And for many of you, you're thinking to yourself right now, listen pastor, it is not looking too good. I'm in the pit of despair, I feel like a slave. I feel like I'm, somebody else is in control of my life. Imagine Joseph gets pulled out of the pit, thrown in a cage, taken there, and dumped in Potiphar's house. Even while he's second in command of Egypt, he's still not in control of his own life. And when, you're, when you hit rock bottom, when you're in the pit of despair, when you feel like you have been treated poorly, you've been falsely accused, someone's taken credit for something that you did, or whatever the case, whatever the case may be, when that happens, we need to rest. We need to, have, we need to have this eternal perspective. We need to rest in the character of God. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to have that eternal perspective. We need to believe with all of our heart that all things, all things, not just good things, all things, even the bad things, even the things that people have done to you, God didn't do them to you, someone else and their sin did something to you, but all things work together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. All things. We need to realize that our lives, our our lives, our, our whole lives will work out for the good. We have purpose, we have meaning, we have significance. Even my friends, even if we can't see it, even if we can't see it, we need to believe that all things work together for good. Even when we're in the middle and we can't see it, we like to know the end but I'm trying to tell you what the end is. This world is desperate to overcome the, the this isn't fair, and this isn't right, and this isn't just, and they're, they're running themselves into the ground trying to control it all. If I could just get this person, this person, i just do that, if we just do this, we just do that, and everybody, somebody else is thinking the total opposite. If I just do that, I'll stop them from doing this, and, and they, we manipulate the whole end. At the end of the day, God is in control. And things will change. You know when it will change? When Jesus comes back and we have a new heaven and new earth. Things will completely, drastically change. In his book, The Grand Weaver, that I asked you to, to buy, Ravi Zacharias writes this, we always like to know how the story ends, don't we? Otherwise, we feel cheated. Does a sudden disappointment or unexpected event shatter everything else we believe? and further on the chapter, he says this. If we were to judge by much of what we see and hear, we would honestly find it difficult to keep ourselves from becoming cynical about life. More and more, when something terrible happens, we declare, that's life. That's life. As though disappointment and heartache declare the sum total of this existence. We miss the roses and see only the thorns. Listen, my friends, if we're going to get to the place where we can see the roses, it will not come through our own strength, our own abilities. It will not come through our own strength and our own abilities, our own effort. So here's what I'm asking you to do over the next few weeks. I don't want you to pick up a sword. I want you to put down your sword. I want you to stop believing the lie that you can control the future. I want you to stop doing and doing. We just do this and we just do this and we just do this. Not, not, I, didn't say, I didn't say stop being a Christian. I didn't say stop living out the word of God in your life. I'm saying stop, stop doing, doing, doing and start being. Start just, let's just take this time to be in the presence of God. Let's trust God Let's trust God's grace. Let's rest in his promises. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to lay down our sword. That you would give us the strength to believe, to understand the reality that we are not in control of the future. That you would give us the strength to rest in your promises. That you would give us the strength to trust in your grace. God, I pray this series would allow us to be still and to know that you are God. Give us the strength to trust you. And Lord God, give us the strength to give you the praise and you the glory and to thank you in advance for what we know you're going to do in our lives. Father God, you are are the end of our story. You are the middle of our story. And you are the beginning of our story. May we live the way Joseph lived his life. As a type of Christ, being willing to sacrifice, put you first, humble himself, be a man of prayer not allowing this world to change him based upon the circumstances of his life, but changing the world through who you've created him to be. We pray that for our own lives as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I love you guys and have a great, great week.